Hello and welcome everyone to a post-backlash bash here on the SmackDown 6 podcast. I am your host, Matt Vaughn, and uh, we like to talk about the SmackDown 6 era of SmackDown here on this podcast. From 2002 to early 2004, it was a time when wrestling was maybe the most important it's ever been on Thursday nights in WWE and each week on the podcast. I have the great privilege to be joined by uh, one of our illustrious co-hosts, our guest co-hosts to come in here. Uh, you know, we, we pick their number, we call their number from from the uh, for the bench. And they go, who, me? And they point at themselves. And they point at the guy next to them. And they go, him? And I go, no, no, you. This week, the guy I'm pointing at and saying, you, uh, is is our good friend, Chris Dimitrenko. How you doing, Chris? Great. I've been waiting for this call for right. weeks and weeks. You've been warm on that bench. I really appreciate it. <laughs> we were just talking before we got on about... Uh, you know the size of WWE rosters, and you, you know, you are you're helping out the roster by being such a, a member of the uh, the deep background there. I appreciate it. So yeah, like one of those guys that kind of shows up uh, um, just every few weeks, like like a Funaki, I suppose. It, that's a great comparison. I mean, as long as you're comfortable being compared to Funaki, I think that's a win for you. I think I think Funaki is a great a great comparable. Um, we don't have a lot in common, but I would definitely take it as a compliment if anybody just on the street said, hey, you remind me of Funaki. SmackDown's number one announcer? <laughs> my goodness, the hand on chest being, oh my gosh, wonderful. Yeah, uh, I get that a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, every week of the podcast, I like to ask my my guest co-hosts uh, different questions. I was going to ask you, you know, do you compare, would you compare yourself to SmackDown's number one announcer? But we already answered that one. So instead, I'll ask this, because this show, this is the SmackDown after Backlash, it's the May 1st, 2003 edition of SmackDown. And Backlash happened just the Sunday before. Chris, you have an interesting perspective here. You did not watch Backlash 2003. You don't have to. Nope. Mm-hmm. From what you heard and saw on this show. Me permission not to. Of course, absolutely. You can cover what I asked you to cover. And when you say yes to that, when you consent to that, I go, perfect, great. I presume nothing else right. whatsoever. Um, I, guess even, I think Daniel was on the show earlier. He just made the point of like, it's the kind of the experiment, the the you know the equivalent of being like you haven't watched wrestling for a while. You have a Thursday night open, you watch, you just check it out. You're like, oh, what's going on here? Because it should kind of make sense even if you haven't watched it week to week. Which is weird because I'm really not like that fan, that kind of fan with contemporary wrestling. I will sort of like obsessively feel the need to to watch each of the shows. Uh, but but yeah, I guess I am one of those like casual viewers that that depends uh, that determines whether the ratings go up or not. That's right. Great, great point. We'll talk about ratings here in just a moment. But you, so you didn't watch Backlash 2003, but from what you heard and saw, did, did it seem like a good show to you? Mm, more like Backwash. Hey, that's fantastic. You also just took a drink before you said that. That's a, that was fantastic. <laughs> I wish this is a video podcast. Yeah. This is wonderful. Should be. It should be. Um, nah, I mean, I'm thinking about what happened at, at Backlash and the most potent image I have, which we'll get into is Big Show ramming Ray, who's strapped on a stretcher um, from the outside into the ring post. And then and then poor Ray, I'm not sure this is how it was supposed to be, but poor Ray, he just kind of like, he's attached to this thing and he, and he falls on his head um, on the mat, but um, still he's on the stretcher, so he's unable to actually like break his own fall. <laughs> and so... That looked pretty ugly. And if that was like the one image they want to show me about the pay-per-view, I'm, I'm going to guess it wasn't a great one. Well, it's funny because that is pretty much the the legacy of the show is that that spot there. That's kind of the main thing. And I mean, yeah, he if Rey Mysterio could like balance on his forehead, it would be fine. 
right? But instead he lands on his forehead uh, and it just hurts. Yeah. And it was that was not how it was supposed to work out. It's, supposedly Big Show was supposed to hit him into the ring post and then still hold hold on to him. But he said that when he did it, his hands hurt and vibrated, which makes sense. I mean, if I if you imagine how that would feel, it would probably feel vibrating like crazy. Although, you know, like I talked with Will last week in the podcast, maybe you should rehearse that then just as an idea. You're the effing Big Show. If anyone's going to <laughs> like if you're going to trust anyone to be able to hold on to the stretcher um and not drop it like big show doesn't drop things like we'll see later in this episode just how absurdly strong he is so this is all very surprising to me that uh that it wasn't supposed to go down like this i just assumed that he was supposed to be dropped on a different angle yeah was he i can okay? see that. was he okay after that I I think so. I don't think he had any kind of long-lasting things. People were really mad at him. Uh, There's a lot of frustration directed towards him. I think Vince was mad at him. Edge was mad at him. This is this is kind of you know secondhand reporting. People were not very impressed mm-hmm. with him. But I mean, they also make a good point. You know, Big Show's such a big guy. His hands are huge. Even just by yeah. the way he's holding the thing, it should be like, well, it doesn't matter how much it shakes because your hands are covering most of the uh, both sides of it. Mm-hmm. My gosh. Anyway. Uh, yeah, not a great show. We talked about it last week in the show. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great episode of the podcast. This the benefit of the show is that the wrestling is good, the podcast is good, and the wrestling's bad. It might be better. I don't know. We get to complain about yeah. it and have all sorts of energy with it, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just say to the viewers uh, or the listeners rather, as a tease for later, I wonder if we think this show is good. Hmm. Stroke mm. the beard. We wonder. So let's talk about. Uh, yeah. So this episode of SmackDown, May first, two thousand and three. It was taped on April 29, 2003. It is the 194th episode of SmackDown. We are approaching episode 200, which is not an insignificant show. So I'm excited to talk about that when we get to it. Uh, this was uh, taped at the Verizon Wireless Arena in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, TV rating, like we alluded to earlier there, it's got a 3.2. And we're tracking whether or not that beat Raw. And this week it did not yet beat Raw. It will beat Raw in June. It is May, the 1st of May, 2003. And so we are on our way to possibly beating Raw at some point, even though when I watch this show, I'm not thinking, oh, for sure, this is a show that can compete with another wrestling show on a network, uh, on a different network, rather. And so let's talk about what happened in last week's episode. Uh, like we said, it was Backlash 2003. Uh, Team Angle retained their tag team titles, but then Los Guerreros stole their belts, which comes up on this show a couple times. Uh, Big Shady Rey Mysterio handling, and then swung into a ring post, and then his head also hit the ground, like we said. Brock Lesnar beat John Cena to retain, retain his WWE title. And then also Goldberg beat The Rock. So that was kind of the more – that was the reason that people bought that show. That show had a really big buy rate compared to other pay-per-views because people were really interested to see Goldberg in WWE, especially race, uh, wrestling against Rock. So it wasn't a great show. It did made a lot of money for them, but they can't. you can't always debut a uh, legendary WCW wrestler on your show for the first time. They don't have a lot of options that way. Was it a good match? Uh, I honestly, I didn't mind it. I think, um, I think our conclusion last week, I think we were a little frustrated with how Rock could have, he could have made him Brock, Brock, um, not Brock, Goldberg look a little bit better. I think it would have been better if Goldberg just killed him, but they weren't really doing the, uh, guy just kills the other guy match. Not like they do now, uh, where, where you just have a match against Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar beats you in two minutes or you beat him in three minutes. Um, right. that would be good, but so yeah, so that was backlash. And so let's talk about Velocity first. Velocity is what good folks in New Hampshire would have seen that night. It was episode 50 of Velocity, something of a you know. So we're almost we're two weeks away from the first anniversary of the first um, Velocity. And so on Velocity, Crash hit a crash landing after uh, Jamie Noble got hit with Matt Hardy's book. They got in the one, two, three. The crash landing is the Styles Clash. 
just to be clear, this is when uh, they were taking indie indie wrestling moves from guys who weren't yet in WWE. Um, you know, 13 years away, I think, from when AJ Styles actually ended up there. So there you go. Crash Holly gets the crash landing. Um, Wait, Kishi did Styles yeah. call it the Styles Clash at the time, and then he they did. actually stole the move and even gave it a similar name. Wow, it is a similar name. Yeah, I feel the name is almost like <laughs> we can't call it the Styles Crash, <laughs> but it's a Clash Crash. It's definitely yeah, they're playing with that, um, playing with fire there, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some 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 indie guy might sue you. Uh, then Rikishi smushed a guy named Arch Kincaid. Pretty straightforward there. Uh, didn't think he had much of a chance. Uh, Tajiri hit a powerbomb followed by a buzzsaw kick on a guy named Jason Baccaro, and that was good enough for the win. And then A-Train hit a bicycle kick on Bill DeMott, and that got the pin. So I don't know. I think I think they, it was Bill DeMott versus A-Train because I think A-Train is from this part of the world. So I think he was kind of the natural babyface there. I'm not totally sure. But, uh, yeah, that's what you would get if you tuned in on a Saturday night in May watching A-Train go up against Bill DeMott. Very exciting stuff. You're making a face, Chris. Does that sound like an exciting match to you? No, that that sounds terrible. That sounds awful. <laughs> uh, I have the benefit. I can skip to the end of those matches. I just need to know who who wins. Not That's like right. something exciting is going to happen in the middle, like a run-in. So let's talk about this week's episode of SmackDown, something we did actually watch. And um, we begin with footage for this past Sunday's Backlash, uh, which we talked about. We see Big Show swinging Rey Mysterio into the ring post, outside on the floor, when Ray is on a spine board and it looks like it would hurt his back a lot, but it also hurt Ray's face because he lands on it. And we hear commentary. They're being quite solemn about it. as They talk about it. And then we get the beautiful people intro uh, for one of the last times we're, we're coming up on the very end of them using this year. We're going to go to a, uh, uh, a more hip hop inspired theme coming up soon here on this maximum six podcast. Excited to get into that. And the difference is there. Uh, and then the pyro goes off and we're live to tape in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, we're told we're going to get an update on uh, from Rey Mysterio on his status after the horrible attack he suffered at the hands of Big Show. And it's always funny. Whenever they, we get uh, like update medical updates from people, it's never that interesting. Like They never go like, oh, it's definitely like he's going to be out for a few months. I usually find they go, okay, it's this, and we'll find out more. We're, like, we're more doing more tests. Like The the uh, the tease of more of medical updates has never really paid off, I would say, in WWE stuff. I can't even think of a case. You, has there been a case where it's actually been worthwhile for you, Chris? Uh, generally not. It's yeah. very sporadic. Um, you know, if I really, really cared, I think I'd want more frequent updates. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. That's a good point. Every hour, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I joked with Daniel on a recent episode about, uh, how they start off by saying, you know, they're 72 hours away from backlash. I said, you know what? In the next, the first, you know, the beginning of the, the second hour, they say we're 71 hours away. Tell us what's going on. The end of the show, it's say we're 70 hours away. Let's get the countdown going on. Right. I think that would work great. Uh, we're also told to look forward to. <laughs> I don't know. This feels this this is the perfect show for you to come on, Chris. These these, these matches here. The, what what technically turns out to be the main event of, of SmackDown this week is a total Chris match here. Tori Wilson and Sable against Don Marie and Nydia. Uh, yeah, I was pretty thrilled to see that. That was we, going to be the match. Yeah, because they look. I often look at the card before I actually see the show, and like I, it's just the raw the raw match card. Really, I say raw. I mean, you know. I don't mean like the show. I just mean it's just the matches. And the last match listed is this match. And I was like, okay. I mean, clearly they're doing something in the you know for the last half hour of the show. But uh, still, I thought you picked this show for me because of that match. No, <laughs> no I didn't. Really? No. This timing. No, I, oh, I have a much I more thought, sophisticated system for picking. People. I thought it was because I have become the Tory Wilson and Don Murray expert. 
And so You're rekindling the feud here in some ways. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of assumed that was the purpose. Okay. No, it was just a happy accident then. It's true. You know what? If I was really eager on that, I'd have you on this podcast next week because I believe they have a one-on-one match yet again. Now, the problem with that being next week is a very special show for this podcast. We'll talk about that at the end. Mm. But uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do get a Don Marie uh, rekindling the feud here. Now, the weird thing about this, because it's a tag match with Tori Wilson and Sable against Don Marie and Nydia. Uh, well, Sable's been tormenting Tori for weeks at this point, uh, causing her and Stacey Keebler to come to blows at Backlash. They like She, like, threw her into, like, cabinets and stuff. It was, like, a real, like, intense kind of encounter. And also, Sable had Don Marie and Nidia attack Tori last week on SmackDown, so it doesn't make sense that Sable would be on the other side of that. Um, and again, it's also the main event. But the real main event is not a match, but it's Piper's Pit, because Roddy Piper is going to have Piper's Pit tonight, and he's going to host and introduce Mr. America... This is a big. This is gonna be a big debut for them. Uh, Chris, did you know who Mr. America was before they showed him? Um, no, except when I found out who it was, I I felt kind of dumb about it. I felt like, <laughs> am I the? Wait, did everybody else already figure this out, and I wasn't able to figure it out? I'd feel worse if you were like, if you were even now, just kind of like, I don't know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be tougher. That'd be tougher because yeah. because his his appearance is a little bit uh, well mm-hmm. we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we start the show off uh, not with uh, Mr. America but with Los Guerreros against Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore who are coming to the ring with with uh, by Crash who was uh, yeah like kicking butt on velocity there and so Los Guerreros they have the tag team titles with them because they stole them from Team Angle at Backlash and we see footage of Team Angle cheating to beat Los Guerreros followed by Los Guerreros attacking Team Angle and stealing the belts and taking them away. And they're a low rider. And, uh, you know, the Los Girls, they're carrying the belts. They're gesturing to them in an overly animated way as they make their way down to the ring. And I just thought, like, why isn't Team Angle jumping them? Like, that would be my first move. Like, they had to escape the arena and drive away. But if I was Team Angle, I would just beat them up. And I'd be like, hey, Stephanie, general manager of SmackDown, you can't even be mad at me because they just they stole our belts. We're just taking them back. Whatever. Like, this is just retribution on a wrestling level. But they're not doing it. They're just They're just celebrating and looking goofy the whole time. And then uh, we got some Matt facts here. I thought these Matt facts were weak. Uh, the Matt facts were: Have you read Matt's book, new book? Taz says yes, I have. Uh, that's for, also that's not a fact. It's just that's a question. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt Hardy invented Mattitude. What is what's going on? Matt Hardy is phoning yeah, it in. A pretty weak one. Yeah. They're, these are tough. Do, do something Manchester, New Hampshire related, guys. Come on. Uh, Taz jokes with Cole. He says he's wearing Enrique Iglesias' shirt. I don't know why. I guess it's white. It's a little bit of strappiness to it there, but I don't know if it's really an Enrique shirt. And like, I, I didn't quite get that. Nah, nah. Yeah. I don't know how re- relevant Enrique is in 2003 anyway. Um, you know, Ta- I guess Taz isn't like trying to be on the cutting edge of pop culture anyway, so that's okay. And so we start off. Los Garros does a bunch of double team moves on Shannon Moore, the weaker of the two. And they do a fun rolling leg lock thing where Shannon gets dropped hard. So they like do like a rolling thing, and Shannon kind of gets flipped and almost power bombed in a slam, which I enjoyed. And then uh, uh, Crash uh, hits Eddie Guerrero in the back with Matt Hardy's book when Eddie hits the ropes, which allows Shannon to get the tag, let Matt get in, and take it to Eddie. And they are, they are making very good use of this book as a foreign object. They used it on Velocity, and they're using it here. They're, and I think it's a good point. Like I have, you know, I'm in an office right now where I see hardcover books, and like if you get a hardcover book. When you don't want, like, if you get it in the knee or in the back or in the head, that's going to do some damage. Is that, would that be, like, your go-to 
like I'm looking around mm-hmm. in my condo right now to see like what would be my go-to for an object. Is that kind right. of what you would you would turn to? See, my problem uh, is that I'm also recurrently just looking at a guitar. So I think I would just go full Jeff Jarrett on them. Just whack them with a guitar. Oh, okay. So oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah. I've got a cactus here, which I think would be Ooh. like a pretty freaking cool foreign object. Like to whack a guy with a cactus. I can't believe no one has thought of this before. I hope someone has. That'd be perfect. Yeah, it's like it's like nature's barbed wire wrapped two by four. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I love that as an idea. I would say, I would say books would be a close second. I also have a uh, a a Macintosh classic, which is uh, the original 1984 Mac design. I think it would hit somebody with that too. Ooh, yeah, that would be pretty cool. Just getting hit with a yeah. beige computer from the mid 80s. You're not gonna do well with that. Yeah, the listeners at home can can look around and see what they might choose as their for an object. Yeah, I think about this all the time. I, you know what? This is such a stupid thing. I remember on Family Feud, one of the questions was, he's, you know, Family Feud, everybody gets to consider, right? They say, like, hey, top top answers on the board, you name something. It doesn't have to be the first answer for you to get points, but the most points is number one. And so they, one of the questions was, um, other than a knife, what is something in your home you would use for self-defense? And I remember, do you want to guess what the top rated one was? So they say, they make a point of saying, other than a knife. They want to take knife off the board so they don't have like 90, you know, knife is the number one with 90%. What do you think was the first thing? Gun. <laughs> it's, this was American, and that's a great guess. Uh, <laughs> do we have gun? Gun! Yay! <laughs> no, I wish it was, because uh, just because it'd be so straightforward. Uh, it was hammer. Okay. Which okay. I guess I, when I every time I see my rolling pin in the kitchen, I'm like, that would suck. I mean, that's kind of like Italian grandma style, but I mean, that would be one I would use. It's like a, it's like rock, right? It's like marble on there often. So that would be be kind of hard to. I think it'd be hard to maneuver. But uh, if you get you know the full force of a, a rolling pin for me, you're not gonna get up, man. That's, I'm gonna count. I'm gonna count three on you. No no question. I mean, no one wants to have to go through their toolkit to 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 get like. Like, because it's not, it's probably not very well organized. You have to, like, go into the cupboard, take it out of the cupboard, open it up, kind of rummage through. You're probably, it's probably dark. It's dark. You're not going to turn the light on. There's an intruder in your house. Um, So, so meanwhile, you finally got the the hammer and it's, it's too late. Yeah. You're probably dead at that point. Not, not a good answer. I also just like the idea because you're, you're like going for the hammer and you open the thing up. You're like, oh, no, it's the wrong side. You get the two-sided one sometimes. You <laughs> oh, just right. you throw yes. drill bits at him. Maybe, yeah. you know, at least you start low. So he's just like, what? This doesn't hurt. And you're kind of like, just wait. I'm going to get to a gauge that's going to be a problem for you, buddy. So just like – and then I got Allen keys. All right? I got the little Allen keys and I got the real big ones. So when, when I flip this over into the hammer, you're in real trouble then. It's kind of like the equivalent of, of having sort of like locking your gun. It's like – a protective case for the hammer that that will prevent you from ever using it too hastily. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess you just start. <laughs> it's just for, it's just better safety. You don't just use a hammer. Also, it's just hard to imagine. Like, like I know self defense at home is kind of an odd subject, but like, imagine someone's in your home and you're like, I gotta protect myself. Imagine stabbing them. Like they are a per- they are transgressing society's norms by entering your home against their will. But imagine putting a knife inside someone's body. Ah, it's horrifying. Or imagine the blunt force trauma of hitting with a hammer. Like, I mean, you, I guess you would hope, oh, I'll hit him in the gut. That'll kind of suck for him. But, like, I think you're just going to swing that bad boy wildly. I I feel like people aren't thinking that far ahead. I think they're thinking right. um, 
it's going to look scary enough as a deterrent. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, I'm, you know, I wonder how much these family feud viewers were actually thinking about this question and, and how much the act of killing someone with a knife would traumatize them as well. It is true. It's like the, the unspoken part of this is that you may have to take someone's life in your own home. Right. <laughs> You're not, you know what that would be. Uh, I could probably scissors is also high on that list. Anyway, you know, next time we're on, we'll just, we're, we'll go to some self-defense class. We'll have some guy yeah. on. And we'll, we'll, we'll ask, we'll pepper one of these questions. Well, I can tell you, you probably wouldn't probably like, like nowhere near the top of your list would be a belt buckle. Belt buckle. And and here we are um, um, heading into a situation with the tag belts. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if I yeah, if I was at home, I would be like, get the belts, get the ring bell. Yeah. I wonder how many wrestlers have a steel folding chair um, by their bed, you know, instead of like, you know, just to kind of protect themselves in the night if somebody comes in. That'd be sick. Imagine somebody breaks <laughs> yeah. your home, you get, a, you get a clean chair shot on them. That'd be incredibly satisfying. <laughs> That'd be great. That would be. It would sound good. Yeah. And then, of course, as soon as you hit him with it, you're gonna you're doing your Jim Ross impression. You're like, oh god, hey, hit him with a hard chair. <laughs> like you would feel, I would feel great. Um, yeah. Because obviously, like we don't like clean, you don't like uh, you know chair shots to the head in wrestling, but um, yeah, steel folding chair at home, just crack a guy. That'd be fantastic. Okay, I got a, I got a new fantasy. It'll never happen. Thank, hopefully. But uh, maybe I'll start having a folding chair by my bed. Probably like ten bucks from Amazon. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I have some ones that have, I said one they they have they have um they have pads on them, so I have to take the, maybe just take the padding off. Right. Yeah. Or maybe just use them until these the the padding's kind of going away, and then I go well. Perfect. Now I have a weapon. This is perfect. Uh, I feel good about this. <laughs> anyway, uh, back to uh, the wrestling part of this podcast. Uh, Taz is making a lot of hay during this match about uh, how Crash, who's not in the match, but he's around. He's a vegetarian. Can you believe this, Chris? That people some people don't eat meat. What a crazy concept this is. What kind of weirdos are these people? Hippies. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Uh, but of course, you know, Taz takes it to a whole specific thing. He talks about how uh, Shannon Moore and Crash, they don't like tomatoes, which is famously Taz code for women. Uh, but they do like cucumbers. Oh, wait. Yeah. That... Oh, I miss this. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. He, he's he making... went there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. Wow. I got a kick. I did like the, the the going back to the tomatoes thing was funny. You have to really watch the show and understand what Taz talks about week to week to get that in a way. Uh, the cucumbers thing is just like the most obvi- obvious kind of like, hey, get it the gay. And you're like, I get it, Taz. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> totally get it. Uh, man. So, yeah, he enjoys that. He he gets through a little bit with that. Uh, and then Eddie Guerrero, he gets some rolling suplexes on Matt Hardy, but then Matt Hardy colludes with Shannon Moore to get a kind of Samoan drop neckbreaker combo on Eddie, but only gets two. And then Chavo, going back to what Chris was saying, he hits Matt Hardy with one of these stolen tag titles when the ref isn't looking. And then Eddie falls with his frog splash, and he easily pins the Cruiserweight champion to win the match. Those Guerreros beat Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore. Uh, Crash and Shannon attack those Guerreros afterwards, but then Eddie and Guerrero, uh, sorry, Eddie and Chavo rather, flip them out of the ring and move on. And then finally, I don't know where these guys were. Team Angle finally run out after the match. They surround. They try to surround the ring to get the belts back, but Los Guerreros both knock knock them both away, and so they end up being stuck just yelling at Los Guerreros from the ring as the guys walk up the ramp. Um, I mean, I, you know, they could just chase after them and not stop until they get the damn belts back. That'd be my move, I think. I wouldn't just be like, oh, "You bested us on this occasion." They're well, they're, they're holding a lethal weapon. I mean. <laughs> What are you gonna do? No one has no one has died from a belt shot as far as I know, but it would not be a good time. 
Yeah, I suppose lethal would be correct. But I did like the touch of, of them using a belt shot with what isn't even their own belts to be able to win a match. That's, right. that's, that's a fun detail to me. It's kind of concentrated cheating. Cheating to the power of two. Yeah. His work works well. We go backstage, we see a shot of Mr. America's locker room door. His name is written in what I can only describe as American flag word art. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much exactly what it yeah. is if you, if you yeah, use the Microsoft. Font is, mm-hmm. The font is probably called America. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a bad, that's not a bad point either. Uh, and so we take a commercial break. When we come back, Stephanie, she's walking to this the same door, Mr. America's locker room door. But Josh Matthews stops her. And he says, look, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. And she follows by pointing out that, yes, you did mean to interrupt me, which is which is funny because it's very literally true. Josh yeah. Matthews is trying to be polite yeah. here, but she's like, no, you are stopping me from doing something. You are interrupting me. Uh, also funny because I got Stephanie presumably is his boss. I don't know how that works. I, I see. I would wish the WWE would have an indiv- independent journalism unit in there. That would be the only thing that would make sense, right? Because you need someone who could actually like speak truth to power. Uh, and questioned the general manager's decisions here. But, I mean, she doesn't talk to him like she owns – like she is his boss. I just really want to see the HR manager as a character yes, on absolutely. the absolutely. You've got all of these, like, conflicts. You've got uh, problems between, like, the staff and the management. And, I mean, HR's got to be a riot. I don't, I don't know why we're not seeing this on the show. It, that it, in combination with – uh, the cactus as a foreign object are probably my two best ideas. I think they're fantastic. I mean, I've 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 enjoyed the concept of an HR manager before. I think the HR manager should be backed up, still be dealing with stuff from 20 years ago. That's why they're, <laughs> they're kind of figuring it all out. Also, how great would it be? Stephanie announces a match at pay per view, and then somebody comes out and whispers in her ear. She's like, "What do you mean?" And they're like, "Oh, we you can't have that match at the pay per view because those those two wrestlers came to me separately." And then I had a meeting together and we had a conflict resolution instead. So you actually those those people you want to fight, their their conflict is over. So they actually don't want to wrestle anymore. <laughs> it's just diffusing things, HR style. And and you know, implementing wellness policies to prevent dangerous right. matches. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It would be it would be it would be great. Mm-hmm. It's the great thing there. Just like just stops the uh, the world champion, like, how's your how, how are you doing mentally? You okay? Like you're kinda <laughs> You seem like you're. You think everybody's out to get you. I mean, you are world champion, and everyone is trying to beat you for the title. But still, you seem a little bit. Would you like to take part in a webinar about it? Yeah, that'd be great. You're always asking for cage matches. Why is it that you want to be locked in with your problems? Do you want to talk about how that's a thing? Okay, I feel like you're externalizing a little bit. Anyway, HR. This seems like a very active HR person. This is the most effective active HR person that I've ever heard. <laughs> I would say my experience with HR people is generally uh, they're either benign or useless, uh, or somewhere in between. I think maybe you're just not working in a big enough sort of organization where, um, you know, HR becomes a little part of your life. Yeah. You know what? That's a good point. And uh, maybe I want to join some HR unit at some point. Maybe, yeah, get my human resources up and going, right? So so Stephanie, yeah, she, she gives a lot of grief to Josh Matthews, who's just trying to do his job. And Josh Matthews asks who Mr. America is, but Stephanie says that she signed him sight unseen, which – Seems dumb to me. I wouldn't do that. Uh, any anyone could just be like, I'm Mr. America, and get a contract, and be like, we could be, I don't know, some some fat guy. It does seem like a risky signing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, considering what the rest of the show is, Stephanie trying to kind of manage the fact that she didn't know who this was before she signed them. Uh, also funny because on some level, like he says, he asks like who Mr. America is, and like, you know, even, I think the problem is that we know wrestling enough that we think we will know who this person is. Mr. America could just be a guy. 
And she's like, well, who is he? And she's like, well, Mr. America. I don't know what to tell you. His name is Mr. America. His real name is Ryan, if that's what you're really asking. Uh, so could but, we go back? So how did Eric yes. Bischoff convince her to sign him? I don't think he – I think we just – Eric Bischoff has just been uh, been a person mentioned in this. All we've seen is just these little promos the last few weeks uh, where it's just like Mr. America is coming and they have like – I think there's one later on the show. It's like Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush and JFK. And they have their little quotes. They say, he's coming. And then somebody's like, I signed him. It's like, it seems like you signed him before that because they're doing promotional videos for this guy. Right, right. But they, they just invoke at Bischoff because it's just more useful to be to put her actions uh, against the example of him. So just like, hey, you know, just as, okay. a, as a thing that comes up. So I don't think there's anything active for it. It didn't come up with the pay-per-view at all. If it did, it was involved on Raw, which would be kind of random. They've done, they've done random stuff like that before. And so, yeah, Stephanie signed this guy's sign and scene. Um, she might not be the sharpest bulb in the drawer. Uh, and the team angle runs up to her. And they're saying, you know, you should fix this whole Los Guerreros have our titles thing. And at first, Stephanie's not really that sympathetic. You know, she's saying, you know, hey, that's what those guys do. You know, you shouldn't let them take it. But she also adds that Los Guerreros return the titles to team angle after team angles match tonight. And uh, so it's like, OK, that'll work. And then Stephanie says, you know, hey, you guys cheat. And so she makes a ladder match between Team Angle and Los Guerreros at Judgment Day, which is our next pay-per-view, which sounds like a cool match. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be fantastic. Sounds like a good one. Uh, Team Angle's all like, a ladder match? They're like totally totally horrified by this concept. Uh, the one thing I will say that I haven't said yet on the show, the, the interesting thing about these next couple episodes of SmackDown is there are only three weeks between Backlash and Judgment Day. So there are three SmackDowns to build up the pay-per-view, which is why, you know, 12 minutes into this show on SmackDown, we already have, we, boom, we have a match already. That one's already set right. up, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting little stretch here. Well, I'll, I'll, three or four by the end of the show, I guess. Pretty close to it. Yeah. So, Michael Cole and Taz update us on Rey Mysterio's condition, and the update is that he's getting more tests, and he's got nerve damage, but that's all. All right, great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for doing that. He's getting more tests. It's like, all right, sure. Now, they throw to a video showing us the moments where Ray embarrassed Big Show over the last few couple weeks, where he knocked him on his butt, made him lose the match by count out and stuff like that. And it's kind of – it's funny. It was funny to show this video package at this point because it's not really building to an upcoming match as far as we know at this point. It's just being like, hey, here's some things that led to the thing that happened where these guys aren't here. And you're like, okay, that's good, I guess. Um, I think there's a bit more reason why we'll see that at some point, but strange thing. Uh, we go back, back, back to the backstage area. And Stephanie McMahon is walking out of Mr. America's locker room. And what would you, how would you describe her face, Chris, when you, when she walks out of that locker room? Like she'd seen a ghost. Very good. I, that's a good one. I said she was, she was full of fear about apprehension, but that's a much more uh, apt description there. She looks like she's really bothered by who Mr. America mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Like this is, it's like, who knows, you know, is she, but is she, the other question is, is she playing us? Uh, you know, if you consider everything we else, we find out about the guy later on in the show without revealing who it is. Is she messing with us? And she's doing this for the audience where she's like, she actually knows this guy is, and she this is something she wanted to do. I don't know. No, she looks pretty afraid to me. That's genuine yeah. fear. And she's not she's not a good enough actress, I guess, is what we would also say. So we see another video package telling us that Mr. America is coming. And, you know, he's here, actually. He's backstage. Uh, so he's not really coming. He's, he's, just, he's just coming out soon. Yeah, this is the second... And it's identical, I think, video package uh, for him in this show. Yeah, they're uh, they're really ramping up, ramping this up hard, and giving us very few clues as to who he is. That's right. Except for the most obvious one. But apart from that one, 
not many close. <laughs> right, yes. And so next up, we have Big Show against a unknown opponent. Uh, unknown opponent. Uh, and so we'll find out who he is a little bit later on here. Uh, so the camera shows us a fan of the crowd who, very simply, is just giving Big Show a thumbs down. I love the, the simplicity of that. It's beautiful. It's, this guy sucks. Good. I like that. They show us some exclusive footage from backstage at Backlash with Rey Mysterio being loaded into the ambulance. And my first thought when he's getting loaded into the ambulance is like, how great would it be if Big Show just ran out, grabbed the thing again, and smacked him against the ambulance? Just keep going. I was kind of expecting that, actually, because, I mean, they've done that a lot. Right. Just have him there. You have other people there. You can have them catch him after he gets whacked by it. But I just love the idea of Big Show being like, I'm going to keep doing this till you get him away from me. Come on, man. Leave, leave Ray alone. And so before the match, uh, Big Show grabs a mic. It's like, oh, great. Here we go. Big Show's got something to say. He says, people are told to pick on people his own size, but there's no one his own size. So he picks someone bigger than Rey Mysterio. I, just, I would argue bigger than Rey Mysterio is probably the entire roster of SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Debatable. Mm-hmm. Like if you're just sticking to men, uh, and maybe some women would actually be bigger than Rey Mysterio. And so down comes Funaki. There he is, Funaki, uh, just like Chris. And uh, he's bigger than Ray, but not by much. And so Funaki goes after Big Show. Big Show just kind of tosses him around. But Funaki does get his chance, though, because he grabs Big Show's boot when he tries to get in the ring. Then he gets a missile dropkick and a tornado DDT. That gets two. And then Big Show boots Funaki in the face. But he lifts Funaki up at two after covering him. Then he picks Funaki up for a chokeslam, lifts him up easily, and then sets him down. So he doesn't hit him with a chokeslam. Instead, he hits a big clothesline on Funaki and pins him easily. So that's it for Funaki here. So, yeah, what did you think of the uh, – he kind of teased a few things, and then he just uh, clotheslined him. I mean, it was the squash. It was fine. He um, he did impress me with his uh, strength. Like, the length of time that he could hold up Funaki was was something quite incredible. Um, but, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, I think – the, the funny thing is, like, it feels like every few months they're just kind of like, actually, do you know Big Show's, like, really great? He's, like, really strong. He does, like, a bunch of stuff to people. His clotheslines can heal people. And then it's like, okay. And then he, like, loses to Jeff Hardy three months later. And you're like, okay. Like, they, they always try to have him kind of ping-pong back and forth between, like, main events and, uh, you know, kind of mid-cardy sort of things. Right. Uh, so it's like, yeah. It's just funny when they're just kind of look at him kill, look at him kill for Naki. Like, All right, sure. And so we backstage again. We see Stephanie in her office. She's working on a very thick HP laptop. There's a knock at the door. Very, very enjoyable to see just how enormous computers used to be. And so in walks some production guy named Jason, who we've never seen before. And he asks if she's okay. So he says she's okay, but she just needs some alone time right now. So this guy's like, I don't know. I think he, he might kind of have a thing for the boss. Yeah, um, it's weirdly personal for, like, some production assistant that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Now, I'm going to point out that, you know, way back in the day on this podcast, Don Marie was an assistant of Stephanie. So it would make sense if Stephanie did this. Or sorry, if Don Marie did this for Stephanie. Um, you know, she had her time off to try to get with Tori Wilson's father and succeeded. Uh, <laughs> right. she, she probably had some grieving time afterwards. But I think she should be back doing her job backstage, as far as I can tell. That makes sense to me. I'd support it. And so, uh, but Jason says, you know, hey, actually, production truck said that we're told that Vince McMahon. Mr. McMahon, Stephanie's father, is on his way over to the building now. And she says thanks, but when he leaves, she returns looking very stressed and scared. She's got Stephanie's dealing with some stuff tonight. And uh, her father coming is is one more problem for her. And so we see Big Show walking around backstage. He's walking by people who look mad at him. And it's an interesting collection of people. It's Bill DeMott, referee Mike Sparks, and Jimmy Noble and Nidia. 
But when he gets to A-Train, who he's been buddies with before, A-Train gives him a high five and says he likes what Big Show did. So Big Show's getting some opportunities to be a big deal here on the on the show. So what is this hmm, what is this leading to? Interesting. Hmm. Big show getting more popular. And then we have John Cena. So John Cena walks down to the ring and he grabs a mic. And so John Cena, he, you know, he's fresh off his uh, appearance at, at Backlash. He had a he was in the SmackDown main event for the world title, the WWE title. And he came up short. So now he's gonna be doing whatever happens here. So he gets on the mic, he talks about his match with Brock Lesnar. Uh, but he says he doesn't need Brock Lesnar. And he references the Red Sox and Bill Buckner because they're in New England. And then after he ends his rap, Brian Kendrick comes out. We've seen Brian Kendrick before on the show, little guy. And Brian Kendrick is dressed in a big hip-hop sweater and pants combo. He's got a bucket hat. He's got some fake grills. He's got a big clock around his neck. Like, uh, I guess it's like Flavor Flav, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so Brian Kendrick, he dubs himself Spanky. So if you were, you're kind of wondering when Brian Kendrick becomes the character Spanky, I guess it's essentially right here. This is, this is, a new, this is how he establishes his new ring name uh, in a, an insane locale. And kind of an insane name when you think about it, too. I'm not sure why. Spanky's not an obvious name for a human person. A horse? Something? So, I don't know. So this is this is my introduction to uh, Spanky. I'm not familiar with this version of Brian Kendrick before. Okay. Yeah, I don't think he does anything else hip-hop related, <laughs> which is the funny thing about this. Oh. Uh, he just is, As far as I know, it's a one-off, but I guess we'll see. And so, um, yeah, he, Kendrick asked Cena to give him a beat so he can rap. And Cena refuses, but then... Uh, then he spots Spanky spots Brian Hebner, referee outside the ring. And he says, Hey white boy, did you drop a beat? And Brian Hebner's all like, Oh who, me? But then he starts beatboxing. And of course, you know, he, he's he's not bad. He's pretty good at it. I mean it's yeah, this to me really reeks of good like at it. Yeah. Like like John Cena was doing some rap stuff backstage and one time Brian Hebner's like, I can actually beatbox a little bit. And he did, and he's like, Oh wow, I was actually pretty good at it. So like, all right, let's get Brian Hebner on here at beatboxing and so yeah he's got all sorts he's got all sorts of little little things he can do and little twinges and little tidbits of things good for him and uh so spanky starts going he has some simple rhymes about how cena lost to brock and spanky does a whole when i say cena you say sucks thing and uh Cena's just kind of standing there taking it uh now the one thing i did that was especially impressive here is that spanky does he even fakes scratching a record on cena's head and as he's doing it Brian Hebner is doing a little sound effect as he does it, which is like it's 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 a fun little bit of physical comedy that it matches up as well. It sometimes. was so good. It was yeah. so well done. Now that leads to Cena clotheslining Spanky, and then he hits the FU, which is now called that, not yet named the attitude adjustment. Hits the FU on Spanky and leaves. Now um, Brian Hebner, mixmaster extraordinaire, outside the ring, escapes unscathed. Cena is not bothered by the fact that uh, Brian Hebner dropped a beat for for uh, his opponent. He's like, whatever, that's fine. Well, I hope he does that again. I hope Brian Hebner is back. I didn't remember him doing it to begin with, so he might—he very well might, for all I know. And then we, we go backstage, and the FBI, well, they're doing what people do, of course, behind the scenes of a wrestling show. They're playing dice. Uh, I wish It's like it's a back alley in Brooklyn or something. Uh, and they're playing with some doof backstage in what appears to be, appears to be like a pantry. <laughs> like it looks like an industrial kitchen's like pantry in there. And uh, the, the production guy is playing with them, they stand up and, uh, you know, they're saying, hey, uh, you know, you have to face Benoit. And uh, th- sorry, they say, sorry, they say they have to go face Benoit. And uh, they're like, the FBI, this guy's like, hey, I have my WWE yearbook. Uh, would you sign it? And they say no, which is which is too bad. Now, the interesting thing is I found out the WWE yearbook 
Uh, it's still sold on Amazon. You can get it for $14. Uh, it's just the 2003 edition because they've never done one since, as far as I know. And you can get a WWE yearbook, which came out in May 2003. There you go. And maybe you can track down some of the members of FBI and find out if they'll sign up for you. Yeah. Well, they want to get. Pretty, it'd be pretty cool if they refused. I it mean, would. props to them if they did. They wanted money. I just love the idea of paying. For, like, the FBI should pay you to sign your yearbook. I mean, that's the, this is not the right <laughs> order of things, as far as I'm concerned. We get another promo for Piper's Pit coming up tonight with Mr. America, as we said. And next up, our match is Chris Benoit going up against Johnny Stamboli, coming to the ring by Nunzio and Chuck Palumbo. And so the FBI, you know, they went after Benoit last week because he beats uh, Nunzio on SmackDown. And so now Benoit's got Stamboli. And so it's like, this isn't this isn't great of a card for Benoit at this point. You know, kind of feuding with the FBI right now is not ideal, I would say. Nope. And so Benoit ends up outside the ring. And he hits Chuck Palumbo, who wasn't looking at him. And uh, he goes back in. Uh, Stamboli does a military press, which gets countered into a crossface, but then he gets out of it. And there's a surfboard stretch from Stamboli, which is eventually turned into a backslide pin for two for Mr. Benoit. And then Benoit gets a German suplex on Stamboli. He hits his flying headbutt, um, but only after he dispatches two of the FBI guys when he hits the flying headbutt. And Nunzio gets to the ring with my preferred foreign object, a chair. Uh, but then all of a sudden down runs Rhino. And Rhino Gore's Nunzio. And then, you know, referee Brian Hebner, he's had a pretty big night so far. He's impressing us with things that we didn't know he could do. And he adds, <laughs> another, he adds something else to his 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 skill list here, something he did, we didn't know he could do, which is that he talks to referee Tony Chimmel, and he just decides this match is now a tag match. That's yeah, like, I was wondering what gave him the authority to make that change. Uh, was, this, was this a common thing back, back in 2003? I mean, now you really... You really need to get the management from outside, like from from in the back, to uh, to make that kind of thing happen. I mean, he should at least like touch his ear and be like, "Are you sure you want to do that?" Okay, well, I'll tell him and like be like, just like, don't be like, "I decided to do this thing." It's like, what do you do? Like people, we got time to we got we have to like figure this whole thing out, man. This needs to be timed. And so, um, you know, we, he makes a brand new match. So after the commercial break, we've got Benoit and Rhino against Stamboli and Palumbo. And that first match ended in a no contest, I guess, is how you could consider that. So we don't just get one FBI match. We get two. On this it's show. true. It's true. We get but we get both. And uh, the, the thing I did like is that Nunzio got gored by Rhino before the commercial break. And now they, they show him again. It's been a full commercial break. And he has not moved. Nunzio is still dead, completely dead on the outside. I thought it was great detail. And there's a dispute between the ref and Benoit about whether or not he tagged in Rhino. Uh, but while it's happening, P- Palumbo super kicks Rhino, and that gets two. And the FBI, they beat on Rhino, and he is the, your, your baby face in peril until Rhino hits a spine buster on Chuck Palumbo, and then he gets in and tags Benoit. And so Benoit uh, tags, uh, sorry, he, he pins Palumbo, he only gets two. Uh, but then Rhino gores Stamboli, uh, and when he's bo- goring Stamboli, he knocks the ref over too. And. Uh, the ref kind of like he gets messed up a little bit there, but uh, Nuncio uh, flips the pin over, uh, and Benoit is kind of getting rolled up. It's kind of like a weird thing because he's getting a like like so yeah. Benoit has stacked up Palumbo, and then he still kind of has him stacked up until Nuncio flips the pin over, and so Benoit he's only sort of getting rolled up. I would argue like it's kind of a weird like it's not it's not like the most convincing thing, but despite all that, because of Nuncio's involvement, the ref counts one, two, and three, and so uh, Palumbo. Gets the win over Benoit to win a match for the FBI. There you go. You're shaking your head. You didn't love this? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, the FBI 
are my least favorite part of the show. Um, maybe even more so than than Rikishi. Not on this particular show, but right. I mean, in general. Um, so, no, I didn't enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, not exactly a great win for Benoit. But it does, I guess, set up a, a feud with Rhino, I suppose, is what they're building towards. And, and I guess that'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're the, the FBI just not a great, not a like not a part of the show that I'm like in particularly enjoying. They're yeah. very prominent, but they're not very good. Mm-hmm. So we go outside the arena. Stephanie Man is outside the arena on her cell phone. She's leaving a voicemail for her dad. Uh, she says, you know, Vince, you don't have to come to the building. Like it's, you know, you don't have to be here. And then suddenly a Hummer pulls up, and you're like, oh, is this gonna be her dad? Uh, no. But I like this detail. The Hummer pulls up. He par- parks in the middle of the parking lot. And then out comes Brock Lesnar your WWE champion. He's carrying the belt and he locks the car's door of the fob. And uh, Brock Lesnar's character does not care about people or parking lot etiquette because he's just going to leave his Hummer in the middle of the parking lot, presumably, so no one else can leave because the Hummer's huge. The parking lot's big, but, you know, that's still pretty Clearly big not a valet if he's locking it. Yeah. That's right. And uh, Stephanie shakes his hand, Brock Lesnar's hand, and says, you know, hey, you have the night off. Uh, but he says, you know, I got something to do here. And Stephanie goes, okay... And Taz says, pain just arrived, Cole. I'm not sure if that's good or if it's like cheesy or doesn't really work. Uh, and it's just like Stephanie has no control over things tonight. She's giving Brock the day off. It doesn't matter. He's still there. Uh, you know, Team Angle or, or trying to get the tag title belts, but she's got all sorts of different things on him there. Mr. America is, is, is somebody. We don't know. But she's taking issue with it. It's, it's kind of a funny to imagine uh, Brock Lesnar, who now appears, you know, maybe five times a year. Right. Uh, going above and beyond his contractual obligations and and showing up when he's not supposed to. That's right. Yeah, he's uh, he's really evolved at that point. <laughs> yes. He's got this whole uh, only company get paid thing down with science, which is, which is fair. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so we t- that's right. We take a commercial. We come back and WWE champion Brock Lesnar is coming down to the ring. And Michael Cole continues to try to make uh, give Brock this nickname of the baddest man on the planet. Just the Mike Tyson thing they're just using now for Brock. It doesn't work. It doesn't stick around. I'm not sure. Strange to hear the music because I didn't remember them trying that either. I wonder if they, tried, I wonder if they got a, a shirt with that on there because I could see that being a very much thing they'd want to do. Um, strange. Well, I much prefer the contemporary one that Pat McAfee coined, the alpha male of our species. That's so a good one. 2021 that he came up with. Yeah. And what was the other one he said for Brock? If... Uh, Aliens, right? If aliens came down to Earth for looking for a fight. This is who we'd send. Yeah, I love it. It's true. Well, it's funny because like for just about anybody else, you'd be like, "What exaggeration?" But you're like, you know, if we're, you know, we're talking about Brock Lesnar. I mean, it's actually not a bad point. Alpha male of our species does make sense. I would send him to fight an alien. Um, I mean, I'd be really surprised if they called me. I would be surprised. Yeah, I don't think they would. Yeah, maybe they wouldn't. Uh. <laughs> I guess we'll see. That'd be yeah, quite the call to get. <laughs> yeah, right. And so you're like, did you try Lesnar? Okay. I mean, <laughs> he, I know he lives in Canada. I live in Canada too. I don't. I don't know if you're gonna like the one to one here. Yeah. No, no. You are the alpha male of our species. Yeah, like, I don't, man. You got to tell me and everybody else who's ever talked to me that because they do not treat me that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Brock's in the ring. He's happily parading his belt around the ring before he gets on the mic because he's a happy. He's a happy good guy. We're gonna enjoy this while it lasts. Brock Lesnar. He's a happy good guy. And so he gives kudos to John Cena. The fight that he gave him a backlash. Because Brock likes fights. And then Brock calls out Big Show. Because of what Big Show did to Ray at Backlash. He calls it gutless. 
Um, and I think they must have cut some stuff here because at one point Brock walks like kind of weirdly around the ring. Like he's kind of starts in one place and then he ends up in another. So then they had to cut some time here. And, uh, you know, he calls Big Show a bunch of names before Big Show comes out to say that he accepts Brock Lesnar's pa- challenge, but not tonight. And so we are back to Brock Lesnar against Big Show. Back to this wonderful feud that we already settled oh, back in right. back in Royal Rumble. Yeah. yeah. By, by Judgment Day, these guys are going to go head to head. It's like awesome. Great. Uh, then we have another pro for Mr. America here, complete with a George W. Bush quote. I just love that we're in this time period where uh, you could quote George W. Bush and it's like supposed to be like a good thing. Like that that ended pretty quickly for them, the American people. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He took a heel turn, I guess, pretty soon after that. Yeah. Well, that's what happens to the rack. And so the next match we have here, um, speaking of American heroes like George W. Bush, Team Angle going up against John Walters and Eric Stevens. Uh, so a couple a couple of guys who don't have great uh, very convincing names that they won't just lose instantly. Uh, now uh, Team Angle they come out they still don't have their belts because we'll get them after the match I guess but they have Kurt Angle's gold medals and the portrait of Kurt they had at Backlash they have a nice kind of um, not life size but pretty close life size portrait of Kurt Angle they bring on an easel and they hang the medals on that and I, I enjoy that and so they have it with them and so they they really do a quick job of these guys they hit their super night uh, sorry. They're super kicking to a jackknife cover combo, and that gets the win. I don't know if they pinned John Walters or Eric Stevens, but it doesn't matter, and no one will remember. History's forgotten those guys. That's okay. And so after the match, Shelton Benjamin, he tosses the losing team out of the ring, which I think is fun. I just like the idea of being like, no, get out of here, just like throwing them around. It's very disrespectful and funny to me. And then uh, and then Charlie Haas gets on the mic, and he says, uh, you know, of Los Guerreros, you know, cheating might, uh, stealing might be in your family, but... Team Angle, our family, our tradition is winning. So come back here and give our belts back. And so those girls come out, and uh, I liked it because they're, they're holding the belts, but they also have these like, who are you? Ta- are you guys talking about us? Me? Really? Which is a funny bit of comedy, which I enjoyed. And then Eddie gets in the ring with both belts, and he gets on the mic, and he says, uh, you know, look, we're never going to steal anything of yours again. And they put the belts down. Uh, Michael Cole says they're being great sports here. And it's just like, well, are you really being a great sports if you're turning something you've stolen? Like, I feel like that's not really great sports ter- territory. I feel like you're just, like, I, making amends. I suppose it's relative. Um, yeah, I mean, we generally don't say that about uh, people who, who turn in, like, I don't know, machine guns and so forth and under sort of, like, gun amnesty laws, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, I suppose. I wonder if the cops ever had somebody return a gun. They're kind of like, what were you doing? What was your plan here? This is horrifying. Ah, you guys, you guys are good sports, though. Thanks yeah, for, uh, good for you guys. A couple of chaps, a couple of good old boys. And uh, so Team Angle grabs the belts. They celebrate the belts like they just won them again. Fair enough. And so Los Garros leave, and Team Angle says to cut the music. And Charlie Haas says, you know, you're never going to win the titles again anyway. And any of us have expected this was going to happen because he's still holding a microphone. And he hands it to Chavo. And Chavo says that even though Team Angle are still the tag champions, Los Guerreros are Olympic gold medalists. And Chavo Guerrero then produces Kurt Angle's gold medals from his tights, and they wear them out. So Chavo has, you know, when Eddie got in the ring earlier with both belts, Chavo was outside the ring pilfering the gold medals of Kurt Angle that are on the easel. And so uh, Chavo and Eddie put on the, the gold medals, and they walk out. And this is like Team Angle goes insane. They're very bothered by this turn of events. This is where it just went from bad to worse for these guys. And I feel for them. 
Yeah, what's Kirk going to say when they lost his medals? Why why do they have his medals? I think those should stay with Kurt or be somewhere safer. This doesn't make much sense that he just has them out. Or they don't look like Olympic medals at all. Uh, I mean, we know what Olympic medals looked like in Atlanta in 1996. Like, it's pretty easy to Google, really. I think they had a green strap, maybe. I guess. I I mean, I didn't do the research, but I'd be curious to know if they actually had replicas of, like, the 96 Olympics. Yeah, I don't know. Well, if I, oh, well, let me let me use the power of the internet here and take a look. Because I think they have the traditional kind of red, white, and blue um, strap on there. But this one, yeah, the the, um, the Atlantic gold medals, uh, they're on a, a green, um, majority green little uh, banner there, or a strap, rather. And they had just the gold uh, text on it there. So green and gold is very much the look at uh, at Atlanta, which you do not think matches up with the, with the, uh, the medals that these guys have, have at all. No, I don't think so. And from there we go to see Tori Wilson, who's stretching in the back. And Sable comes up to her and touches her shoulder, and Tori does not like that. Sable's all about these these touches here that are not they're not going to come coming across well. And Tori says she doesn't know what Sable's up to. And she runs down Sable's recent sh- shenanigans, including pitting her friend Stacey Keeble against her at Backlash on the weekend. And Sable says <clears throat> they could be great partners with all the, that double entendre entails. And she she suggests that if Tori doesn't do as she says, she'll just cause more problems for Tori, which I think is just rude. Uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're still doing this. This still the same uh, kind of rock thriller thing of just like, ah, I'm an evil lesbian, maybe. <laughs> yes. And then she adds, I hope we can get along tonight, Tori, because you and I play for the same team. It's <laughs> they're really laying it on. <laughs> it, it very much is. I didn't think about that, but it very much is that kind of. Uh, basic instinct kind of erotic thriller feel um, kind of sad that for for Tori like both these feuds these sort of the the Don Marie feud that that uh, never really goes away and and this one it's uh, it like there is this like weird amount of lesbianism involved I don't know if hmm. Tori's feuds before this or after this also had it but it's uh, kind of back to back with these these two ladies. Uh, certainly, I think everybody can agree that like, um, even though the rules are kind of similar, uh, Sable does a better job. Sable's pretty good here, I think. Oh, performance wise, sure. Yeah, I get that. I think I get that. It is interesting that like the the most evil thing you can do to a Tori Wilson is to uh, be a lesbian at her, uh, which is kind of <laughs> right, the thing. Yeah, another um, you could not do that storyline in 2021. That would not fly. Uh, and I will say, you know, people always say that uh, Don Marie is like a knee injury in that uh, it never really goes away, which is what uh, Tori Wilson is experiencing. Right. Mm-hmm. Very similar thing there. Uh, you know what? And I'm watching this. Uh, Sable says, "See you in the ring." And then matter Cole says so matter of factly. Sometimes Michael Cole ends segments and goes to commercial break on such such clean straight lines. It's hilarious to me. He just goes that match is next. Like, okay, <laughs> broadcaster Michael Cole, telling us what's what. I think I would have liked to see Tori Wilson go talk to Stephanie about this before she talked to Sable. Like this seems like a perfect opportunity. Uh, you know, like because we're we're already checking in with Stephanie to see how she's doing with things, right? We had that guy be like, hey, your dad's coming. Uh, have, have Tori come and be like, hey, Stephanie, what the hell's going on? Like, why are you putting me in a match with Sable? This, is, this is trash. Yeah. 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 Just like, or just like, I know you, hey, she's like, look, I got to deal with Mr. America right now. I'm like, well, look, I'm, I'm Mrs. America. You can, there's all sorts of things you could do with that. You know, Tori would see this match scheduled. She would be bothered by it. And it would make sense that she would try to appeal to a higher power. 
not the higher power, who is Vince, who's on his way over. No, uh, they didn't mention yes. it quite as much today, mm-hmm. but is, is the idea still that Sable's upset that she's not the latest Playboy centerfold? Is I'm not sure. Still... Yeah, that's an interesting question, because it was like, how was that the only piece of information? Is it the only reason why uh, Sable is that the only thing that's actually keeping you from being happy right now? Or is that kind of like a cover from something? Well, because like this is one of those situations where, you know, I, I think as we kind of grow mature as people, that situations like this where you're like, you know, this actually says a lot more about Sable than it does about Tori. This is about Sable's <laughs> issues, not about Tori at all. It really does. It right? really does. She's yeah. she's exter- she's externalizing it. She's saying my problem is you and your success. And it's just like Sable, I think things aren't good inside. This is where, again, <laughs> HR would be perfect to step in here. Because they could they could say you know Sable I think you know your performance is kind of lagging here is so you're you're blaming other people for things like that maybe we can talk to you about uh, steps to go for maybe a good kind of like uh, uh, process you know step process to help you get back on track anyway say Sable what are you doing to me so last week apparently she lost a bikini contest to Tori is that was that also a reason for the randomosity? She kind of led a bikini contest. She was like, she had one, and, st- st- and Tori wasn't in it. And then afterwards, she had Don Marie and, and Nydia kind of like grab her, and she threatened her, pretty overtly threatening. Like it was, kind of, it was kind of funny to, for it to be like, oh, you're like, so you're kind of tagging together. I mean, like she kind of attacked her. Really, it was a little bit more intense than they may were kind of making it out to be here. I mean, they're they're positioning Sable as like, is she her friend or isn't she? But I'm really getting the clear sense that she's not. No. I mean, they keep being like, we don't know. And it's kind of like, well, everything she's doing, including <laughs> yeah. her tone and actions, or that she's not good. She's just, she's just also saying, oh, I like you at the same time. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, she definitely doesn't like her. I mean, but does she – I guess she does seem to find uh, Tori hot, I suppose. Right. Fair. Fair. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like, well, I mean, you know, that's that's true. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and so it's still to come. Piper's Pit with Mr. America. Guys, you can't stop watching this show until Piper's Pit happens because Mr. America is coming. You don't know who he is. It's going to be a big deal. They've mentioned this as much as they've mentioned just about anything on the show. Mm-hmm. And so then we have Nydia and Don Marie with Jamie Noble going up against Troy Wilson and Sable. And when uh, when Nydia and Don Marie come out, my first thought is just, man, Jamie Noble is just living his best life. Because now comes Jamie Noble, who is shirtless and in jeans. And he's holding both hands of Don Marie and Nydia. And you may remember, maybe you don't, when he walks to the ring with Nydia, what he always does is Jamie Noble takes her by the hand, spins her in the air, and slaps her on the butt and keeps walking down to the ring. Uh, And Jamie Noble does that here, only he spins both of them and slaps them both on the butt. And I guess Nydia's fine with that. Uh, I don't know. But he just does it with both of them and kind of gets away with it there. So Jamie Noble is just like, he's just getting away with things tonight. Living it up. Love it. Uh, I guess Nidia's fine with it. I don't Who knows? Um, and so it's funny because, like, this whole match is kind of like, will these people get along so they can be a tag team? But on some level, and, you know, obviously there's tag teams where they do tag team moves and things like that. Like, you can kind of operate as a tag team without a lot of cooperation, right? All you need to do is tag, and then you take over, right? Like, you can, like, right. Like, no one's expecting um, a lot of really complex double teaming moves between Nydia and, and Don Marie here. You yeah. know, their, their sequences are, are going to be pretty basic. It's not like you have to be like, okay, now we're going to do, you know, double suplexes on people and things like that. Right. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah. It's just like, I know modern wrestling, it's big. They're big with, with tag team moves. And obviously it's a lot of fun, but practically speaking, it's not essential. 
All you have to do is have a second person and beat people up. It should be fine. And so Nidia and Tori start. And Tori gets a neckbreaker on Nidia before Domri breaks up the pin, which is good because presumably that would have been the victory because that's Tori's finisher is a neckbreaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm watching this match and I'm like, you know what? Like, I think Nidia, if she was around in like a performance center, kind of NXT era, I think she could have been a pretty good talent in the women's division. Like, I see some talent here. I, I'm like, I, I see potential here. And even Dawn tries to bring it too. She goes for a Vader bomb and misses. But I'm like, you know what? There's like some, there's some raw ability here that I think that could have been something. Yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty impressive actually. Um, a little bit, you know, now that they're actually being given a little bit of time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so yeah, so Don Marie goes to this Vader bomb, like I said, she misses it, and so Tori and Don Marie they're both you know trying to crawl over their corners, and so Tori is crawling to the tag in her corner, but Sable takes away her hand and doesn't reach the tag, and she even just walks away. So Sable leaves Tori in her time of need. So Tori's stuck in the ring there. She's alone. And Don Marie gets to her. I guess Don Marie, see, the thing is interesting here is that Don Marie does not try to get in, uh, or does not try to tag out. She just stays there. And so Don Marie does a slingshot uh, into just kind of the ground. And she rolls over Tori, and she gets a single leg Boston Crab. And we get something that I thought was pretty rare, I think at this time especially. Uh, we have a woman tapping out because Tori taps out to the single leg Boston Crab, and she loses. A Sable watches from the ramp, also technically a loser. Now, that's got to be maybe the first time in WWE history that anybody has lost a match to a single leg Boston Crab. Unless this is Don Marie's thing, but I've never seen Don Marie win a match. So I certainly had I've, I'd never seen her use this finisher effectively like she's always losing to Tori Wilson. Well, the thing you don't see, Chris, is that on SmackDown Dark, she beats like three jobbers a week with <laughs> every week on on YouTube. You go on SmackDown Dark, Don Marie's always beating somebody right. with a single like Boston Crab. That's why she got the the title shot, really. I want. Well, I get that joke in three years. So if I go back and listen, I don't know if I will. It's an AEW joke, folks. Um, I don't, I don't know if she did. I don't like because part of me is like, well, Lance Storm had the single like Boston Crab as a finisher, oh, but usually he? when you're like a heel and stuff, you wouldn't like you don't often win that way anyway. But I'm sure Landstorm won by uh, you know a a tap out to a single leg Boston Crab on like metal or jacked or something. Right. Yeah. So un- unusual finisher. Um, can't say I was surprised not to see Sable take the tag, particularly be- because Sable did appear to be in wrestling attire. Uh, hmm. That was kind yeah. of the one, that was kind of the one giveaway. Like if Tori was trying to suss out whether Sable did intend to actually uh, compete on her behalf tonight, it would be to see whether she was wearing wrestling gear. I noticed that when she came down, I was like, I guess it's pretty similar. And then as soon as she didn't go for the tag and walked away, I was like, oh, well, obviously that's the only story you can tell with this match. If you have the reluctant tag team partner who just doesn't like you, it's like, oh, okay, well, she's not going to help her. No. Oh, man, it felt dumb. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, so Sable watches from the ramp, and so she gets another um, another you know, burn another victory over Tori in some ways in a, in a twisted game she's playing. Well, Matt, I guess they don't play for the same team after all. There we go. <laughs> Perfectly done. So Stephanie's back outside on her phone again, and she's calling Vince. And she's like, yeah, you don't need to come, really. And then, of course, behind her, once again, a vehicle pulls up. This time it's a stretch limousine. and Obviously, it's Vince McMahon. And while she's trying to tell him not to come and she wants him to go back to the hotel, he comes out of the car, not answering his phone. 
And Vince says, yeah, I'm here to meet Mr. America. I insist on it. And he says, I'm proud of you. Way to go, Steph. And so Stephanie, of course, Stephanie knows who Mr. America is, and she wasn't very happy about it. So clearly she's trying to prevent her dad from being here like that. We don't know why. Um, and Stephanie ends by saying, ah, Dad. She's 17, I guess. Well, you forgot there was a clue in there. Uh, Vince says, oh, I hear I hear this guy's like seven feet tall. Right. And and Stephanie says, yeah, well, he is he is tall. And so that was the first clue that we got into who Mr. America was, was that he was a tall gentleman. Right. They didn't say six, eight. That would maybe give a little bit too obvious there. And and I was actually even still at this point, I did not know who Mr. America was. And I'm scanning through my brain to think of who might be a tall individual. I love it. This is great. What a, what a perfect way for this to work out that you didn't know this was. That. <laughs> oh. oh, man. So next up, we have a Piper's Pit. This is our, our main event promo which is something that's not very common on, wasn't very common on SmackDown. Now it's in, increasing in common uh, appearance here on the show. So where Piper's pit, uh, Roddy Piper comes out with Sean O'Hare and they still feel like such an odd fit to me. Like these guys were kind of glued together and like, well, Sean O'Hare looks like he's like a Satanist or something. And, and Roddy Piper just looks like, like some old uncle from like, uh, like a, like a, a Lions club bar or something like that. Like he just doesn't, like, I don't see, they, they don't fit together here. Like, I, I, I don't see it. Not not terribly well. I mean, Sean O'Hare, he doesn't really say much of anything, so he doesn't really contribute a whole lot other than just being the muscle. And maybe that's all all yeah. it's supposed to be. On tonight's uh, tonight's occasion, that's all that really is. All that's really required. And so Piper's on the mic, and he alludes to something with Chris Jericho, and he slams him as having no talent. I guess I think they're leading up to a confrontation at Judgment Day, which is such a random thing. I guess somebody was like, oh, wouldn't it be great if Roddy Piper and Chris Jericho got on the mic and yell at each other? It's like, sure, I don't know. Is that like, uh, is that really a, a wrestling? Like, is that a match you're gonna do? Like, you're just gonna yell at each other? Okay. I don't know. I'm here for it. I, I, I'd be interested in that. Sure. Well, we'll see what happens. And so Ronnie Piper says, you know, let's just get to it. He introduces introduces Mr. America, and his music hits, and the theme, of course, is Real American, uh, which used to be the theme of a guy named Hulk Hogan, who has been, you know, suspended indefinitely from the show. Yeah, that's uh, a pretty big clue right there. Right. And so out walks this guy. And this guy's got a blue luchador mask with a white star on it. Uh, he's got on red, white, and blue tights. And he's got matching red, white, and blue boas. He also has a very obvious Fu Manchu mustache. It's kind of like, kind of, uh, you know, bleach blonde. And he's got orange skin. And the joke is that he's very clearly Hulk Hogan wearing a mask. And so, yeah, Chris, you were like, you're like, of course it's Hulk Hogan. This is like kind of dumb. Is that what you thought? Uh, you know, because they'd hyped it so much and because it was the main event of the show, I was pretty excited about it. But yeah, I definitely felt like, how could I not have imagined that it was Hulk Hogan in this particular role? Yeah, I maybe, I'm because, gonna... maybe because Hulk Hogan, I thought, was just sort of too big to, you know, bring out an luchador mask. Yeah, well, like, who knows? Uh, I, I I will say that I do generally enjoy this segment. Like, it's, it's like it's the right amount of ridiculous. Now they're gonna keep doing stuff like this in the weeks ahead, but like for what they did tonight, I was kind of like, this is dumb fun, and I don't mind it. That's how I felt about it. And uh, like, 
I, and I honestly think that the red, white, and blue attire kind of looks good. I don't know. Like, it's just like, oh, you should have put this Hogan in this stuff before. It's a good look for him. Yeah, Very I flattering. like it. I, I like Mr. America era Hulk Hogan. Uh, and definitely it is dumb fun. Um, it's really over the top. But, um, yeah, I think it's fantastic, especially when we see Mr. McMahon roll in. Oh, that, that part's amazing. Now, Michael Cole and Taz are talking about it. They, they say, oh, Mr. America spent some time on the beach. And he's making some very overt references, which is which is fun. And the crowd's going nuts. Mr. America poses. We bathe in the reaction of the crowd. And uh, Piper's on the mic immediately after the music stops. He goes, you know, we're, we're not in a country of stupidity. He says, this is Hulk Hogan. We know that for a fact. And Mr. America just acts all offended. And, and <laughs> Mr. America hits Piper with a, let me tell you something, brother. And it's fun. And he offers to kick Piper's ass from sea to shining sea, dude. And then he adds, I am freedom, I am justice, I am liberty for all. <laughs> Which is such a strange thing for a human person to say. Um, yeah, I also have to say there's something like, uh, you, you could do this now with more commentary if you still had Hulk Hogan do it. While you kind of like, uh, with all the baggage with Hulk Hogan, you'd be like, well, there is historical baggage with the way African Americans have been treated in the United States. Not unlike Hulk Hogan's negative damage there, too. So maybe he is Mr. America, and maybe in the truest way we know. He really does embody – he really does embody a lot of what I sort of imagine America represents. The, yeah. The good and the bad, for sure. I mean, this is a Canadian speaking, so I, I, I'm not sure – I'm not sure if that's offensive to say, is it? That Hulk Hogan <laughs> embodies America? If it is, I mean, you know, I feel like, especially when I was a kid, uh, Canadians, especially in Canada, could just kick the United States all we wanted. Like, that was just, there was, that was free game, like, when I was uh, younger. I feel like things have changed, especially, you know, not to be dark, but I think that kind of ended with 9-11. We were like, you know what, we're not going to make fun of the United States for being the United States anymore as much, because they've been through some stuff. Right, uh, right. But uh, definitely, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, a uh, pretty wise assessment, or at least it's worth looking at it. Be like, hey, prove me wrong. There's bluster. There's, uh, yeah, the racism thing. Anyway, it's interesting there. So, yeah, he says. So, Mr. America says, you know, I'm everything that the Piper is not, but he also says he's not Hulk Hogan. And Chris, Vince McMahon's music hits, and like Chris alluded to earlier, he walks out, and Vince is like extra angry. Oh, is he pissed? Like, oh. just, like his eyes are enlarged, and then he's like, he's got that kind of like, like like walk where he can't really like bend his elbows and he's it's more he's of stomping a too arch. yeah it's, it's a stomping uh you know his shirt is unbuttoned quite far down he looks sort of red in the face and flustered yeah it's it was, it was an amazing reveal to be like here's how he looks you're like okay wow i imagined angry and this is like way funnier than that he, he stomps down he storms his way into the ring he rips the mic away from piper and Vince says he suspended Hulk Hogan indefinitely. He wanted Hulk Hogan to rot. He wanted the fans to never cheer for him again. Fans boo him for that. Uh, and it's funny because he's so mad at Hulk Hogan. It's like, I would be mad at Stephanie Vince. Doesn't that make the most sense? Like, considering this whole sight unseen thing, or at this point, maybe it would even be reasonable for you to, to not think it's sight unseen. You might think it was some sort of uh, form of dissent from uh, from his, his decree of the suspension. Well, you know who's going to be effing pissed is accounting uh we can bring them in later um as characters into the show when they find out that they're paying this guy twice he's like now now on the payroll double 
What a good point. I never even thought about that too. We're just kind of like, well, we got to, I mean, we say we're going to pay Hogan to stay at home. Um, you know, I think yeah, if anything, accounting should be on their side. They should be like, well, we got to get in there and figure that out. I mean, on some level, the paperwork, uh, you know, unless you're doing some uh, creative tax stuff, uh, you know, there's really only one social security number for Hulk Hogan. So on those forms, you know, it's not like Mr. America got a different social security number. If he did a social security fraud, <laughs> it would be fraud. Yeah. could dial him up for, he could just, he just call like, uh, I don't know. He called for social security. I would just say the IRS. You can call the IRS for all sorts of things, I suppose. But uh, I think the FBI would be very interested in. It. Sorry, not the full-blooded Italians, but the Federal Bureau of Investigation. To be clear. <laughs> right. I think there'd be all sorts of things to that. And uh, Vince says, you know, hey, so it's Hogan. Since you're here, you breached your contract, so I'll see you in court. Mr. America says, well, Hogan kicked your ass at WrestleMania events, but I'm not Hogan. I'm Mr. America. And then he declares his fans America maniacs. And I was like, great, perfect, exactly what. <laughs> that's exactly what you should be called. <laughs> Uh, and then Vincent realizes something. He goes, you know, you must be under contract to WWE if you're here. So he takes pleasure in saying, you're fired. And then Mr. America says something that, that I found. That was pretty What's good. That? Thank you very much. Um, I've, I've only heard him ever say it one time uh, or every day for the last you know, 20 years. Um, so Vincent, Mr. America then says something that I found confusing the way that it's phrased. He said, I signed with Stephanie, not you, Vince. Which at first it's like, didn't you sign for SmackDown? Like you're not, you're not like, is this like a Peter Pocklington, like Wayne Gretzky thing from the seventies where you sign a personal services contract and you can kind of get away with things like that. Is that what's happening here? Um, yeah, I found that a bit, a bit confusing as well. Uh, but I guess, I guess the idea was that she had a signing authority and only she saw the contract, I suppose. He signed a valid contract from WWE. He says that there's – it's ironclad. He can't be fired or suspended, which is maybe too much power to give someone, period. Um, you know, I would want to be – at least have some sort of like for due reason or due recourse. And by Stephanie would be maybe one thing you do. Um, I'd love to see the rest of that contract. Absolutely. Well, it's also interesting too because you're like, well, she signed him sight unseen. So why did she give him an ironclad contract? Wouldn't you be like, well, sight unseen, I want to I at least make sure that I'm not going to be leaving up too much – uh, liability here. I'm giving up a lot. If I if I am uh, if I don't know who you are, this is ironclad. This is Matt, a mistake. Do we do, do we ever find out really like what she was thinking? Maybe this will be in her memoir of like oh, maybe. why did she why did she do this? Stephanie. Well, there's all the the Vince Stephanie drama is not going to get uh, any cleared up anytime soon. We're going to continue on uh, in a interesting or weird, not great direction with that. But um, yeah, anyway, it's funny. Stephanie signing ironclad contract with people that she some at least purports that she's never seen before. And uh, well, it's like, OK, so if Mr. America signed this ironclad contract, fine. Vince says, I'll prove it, Mr. America's Hulk Hogan by ripping the mask off of him. And uh, Mr. America says, what you going to do when the 24 inch Patriots run wild on you? Not pythons, they're Patriots now. Because uh, the war in Iraq is happening. So, mm -hmm. yes, exactly. A weird detail, and so Sean O'Hare gets involved. He holds Mr. America back, his arms behind his back, so Vincent come in and take off his mask. But Mr. America just kicks Sean O'Hare in the groin because Hulk Hogan at some point, um, I don't know if it was in the 90s or what, he just he could do heelish things because he's Hulk Hogan and he gets away with it. Oh, he's kind of always done that, so that's not true. I, I it's, it was in the 80s he was doing this stuff too, and so he kicks, he knocks Vince down. Mr. America leaves the ring and he heads up the ramp, and there's this very loud explosion and confetti explodes over the crowd and over the ring and mr america is flexing on the ramp and he has this uh, he has an american flag 
And at one point to flex with his arms, he takes the American flag and he sticks the poles in his pants when he's flexing, which is a strange move to have a, a big uh, flagpole in your pants. <laughs> there we go. I mean, that's just what it was. Yeah. And it's a celebration that, you know, we will not let America be revealed for what it really is. Exactly. That's right. Keep the mystery in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with that, while he poses and the, you know, the other guys in the rings glower at him, we go off the air. And so Mr. America has been revealed on SmackDown. He bears a very close resemblance to Hulk Hogan. And uh, we're, we're on our way, uh, on our way to Judgment Day. And so, Chris, I'd love to get your final thoughts on this show. Uh, in your rating, we use the uh, SmackDown video games of this era. We borrowed their names for our rating. So essentially we say we bad eh, and good would be here comes the pain, shut your mouth, or just bring it, which makes sense there. So, Chris, what would you think of this show? Oh, I mean, I really liked the very end. Um, but the rest of the show didn't do a whole so maybe if i'm judging this based on sort of like the amount of like time i'm gonna have to say here comes the pain because the last you know 10 minutes didn't really make up for what preceded it yeah i think it's totally fair one thing i noticed and i went back and i did a little bit of uh some kind of behind on the envelope back of the envelope math is that on this week's show, which is, I say a two-hour wrestling show. I mean, on the network, it's an hour 25. But, like, this is a show that you would watch from 8 to 10 or 9 to 11. And there's only about 22 minutes of in-ring action. 22 minutes in a two-hour show uh, compared to 36 last week. So that's noticeable, right? Like, that's like a decrease of, I think, more than a third. And, uh, and what you've recently. got is um, you've got Big Show Funaki, which is a squash match. Yep. Um You've got Team Angle versus Jobbers, who I don't Squash. even remember their names. Yeah. And and then with the the women involved, um, I mean that that ladies match was was a sprint, so uh, which is kind of what you'd expect there. So yeah, you we really didn't get a whole lot in terms of in ring action, and what we got wasn't particularly memorable. Yeah, I mean I think that. Uh, obviously, if you have like, if you just had a show that was all wrestling, it wouldn't necessarily be good. But I think on the whole, if you look at these shows and say like, what, what were the weeks where there was more wrestling than others? I think those are probably gonna be the better shows, right? I mean, maybe it's crazy to say more wrestling on a wrestling show is good, you know? For, forget that. I sound like I'm gonna go start another another AEW with that kind of opinion. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily true. Um, we were talking before the show about some of the contemporary sort of SmackDowns, which can be really promo heavy and. And be really great, you know, mm-hmm. with a small number of segments, a small number of stars. So I just think in, in this case, um, it didn't deliver. Yeah. I, You know, this show, there was too little wrestling, too much Sable, too much FBI. And we're back to a Big Show Brock feud again. Like, that's just like, what are we doing? Please, no thank you. Yeah, uh, Big Show Brock is disappointing. I can't believe you said too much Sable. That's not true. Um, but you know what, if I, if we were watching that show to, to see it end with Hulk Hogan, um, um, you know, fending off, uh, Mr. McMahon and Sean O'Hare and Roddy Piper and there being fireworks, I still probably would have gone home happy. You know, Chris, it's very interesting you say that for, for two reasons. First, um, so I'm also going to say here comes the pain for this show. 
And second, because as Faye would have it, I actually did get to see Mr. America end a show because next week's show that we're covering on the SmackDown 6 podcast is the May 8th, 2003 edition of SmackDown, which emanated from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I was there uh, and my brothers were there and uh, we are going to have one or two on the podcast next week to talk about uh, the the May 8th, 2003 edition of SmackDown, which features Mr. America. Uh, features a bunch of people we, we, we like. And we might even talk about the Raw that we went to uh, the night before on the Monday. So, uh, you know, we get to, you get to listen to that on the SmackDown 6 podcast. Gonna be, I think it'll be a highlight for the show is uh, to hear the, the joint experiences of the Vaughn brothers as, the, as we wax poetic and nostalgic about uh, a pretty weak time in WWE history and yet a time where we will be watching and watching eagerly. Yeah, I bet when they were like, I bet they booked the sh- the venue of a long time ago and they were like ah shit we we need to highlight mr america as the biggest part of the show but can we reschedule this we're in halifax um so i'm genuinely curious to see how mr america plays to a halifax audience uh consisting of the vaughn brothers yeah i i will uh, spoil a little bit that uh, the fact that he's hulk hogan definitely helps <laughs> I mean, is he is he mad? Well, it's it's unclear, but I will say that uh, you know I think there's there's a lot of Hulk Hogan merch in the crowd that night, uh, including on the backs of um, some of my family members, and so uh, it's a very big thing. Very very excited for that. I don't want to hype up the show too much. I mean, it's one of the shows I'm most excited to talk about um, beyond even just the pay reasons. Like, yeah, I was there. We get we get to watch it, and I haven't. I will also say I have not watched the May 8th, 2003 edition of SmackDown since probably May. 11th 2003 like i probably watched it again the next night okay uh, when we came home from it uh but uh yeah we'll be yeah we're, we're going deep next week folks we're going deep you know clear out some space on your on your phone for this one because who knows how many hours we're going in this guy <laughs> oh man looking forward to it but you know what that's next week this week i was just so glad to have chris with me here thank you man thank you for being here absolutely always so happy to be back on the pod Love it. You know, we are in this kind of this weird period between these two shows. It's not a great time for the company here. You know, we are uh, we're post backlash, which is also post WrestleMania where it's May. So uh, we're not really that close to SummerSlam. Uh, there's not really a King of the Ring to be excited about either. So it's just kind of a, it's a weaker time here uh, in the WWE universe. This uh, this period of time in 2003. And uh, we're also about to hit a very interesting time where we have uh single brand pay-per-views that's gonna be a whole kettle of fish we're gonna uh, open up and uh i don't know what you do i guess you, do you smell it uh, you cook a kettle of fish obviously but you smell it to see if it smells good or not i don't know let's hmm. see if these pass the sniff test not sure mm-hmm. yeah maybe maybe don't do that maybe don't smell the kettle of fish but uh yeah thank you so much chris for joining me this week uh thank you for all our listeners for joining us as well if you have a friend you think would like the show be sure to share with them you can follow us on social media we are smacked on six pod on twitter and on instagram check us out there I would to post some clips in the show there. You make it easier to share with other people. And, uh, you know, my hope to you this week is that uh, whatever happens, I pray that you do not have a an enemy of yours uh, come around to where you work and masquerading uh, as a different character, uh, covering their face with a mask and causing you to stomp down to wherever you work and be filled with anger. So have a great week. Wait, but if you do, make sure you've got the right important object for the job. That's right, a cactus. 